This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, January 13th, 2013. Nehemiah, Lessons in Godly Leadership, Hearing and Responding to God's Call. Well, good morning, Connection Church. It is great to be with you this morning. You know, it's been since December 16th since we've been on this platform because December 23rd and 24th we had services where? Reading, yeah. And then George was here on the 30th and then Lori preached last week. So, boy, it is good to be back. Yeah, yeah. So, in case you haven't, this is your first time. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are pastors of this church, and along with Lori, and we greet you. We are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, thank you so much for today. We thank you that we're focused on you right here and that there are kids focused on you on the other side of that wall and that we're worshiping and praising your name and God we just thank you it's really humbling I would ask that you would open each one of our hearts that we might hear what you want us to hear sense what you want us to sense and that we would respond to that we pray this in your name and everybody gathered said Amen. A life-changing moment. Maybe you've had one of those. Many people have uh, a point in time uh, at which uh, nothing's going to be be the same after as it was before. A moment basically that changes everything. You know, Scripture, the Bible, is full of those life-changing moments. Like um, the moment when Adam and Eve took a bite of the apple. That's pretty life-changing, wouldn't you say? Or when their son for all of us for all of us for all time, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, or when their son Cain murdered his brother Abel, a life-changing moment. When God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, you said they're talking about That's that. That's what their lesson is: the burning bush. Okay, and um, when David slew Goliath, life-changing moment. When when um, when Jesus went down to the beach and said to James and John and Andrew and Peter, "Come on, follow me." Life-changing moment. When when Jesus looked up and saw Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree and said, "Come down, cause I'm coming to your house today." That was life-changing moment. When when the blind beggar got his sight. When Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus, life-changing. The Bible's full, it goes on, the list goes on and on and on. Well, there's somebody else who we'd like to share with you today who had a life-changing experience, and his name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he was a Jew, and he lived in Babylon, and he was in Babylon as a result of something that happened called the Babylonian captivity. We also call it the Babylonian exile. You see, in 586 B.C., that's before Jesus came on the scene in the flesh, um, the Babylonians plummeted the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it just was torn to shreds, and people were exiled. They were forced out of Jerusalem. And so, uh, anyway, 47 years later, after that, Persia conquered Babylon. So you see, there was a lot of war and strife over there, just like there is today. And so, in 538, 
And then in 458, hey, do you notice I'm getting my arm up now? That's pretty good, isn't it? I just realized that. In 538, 458, and 445, they allowed the people who had been displaced to come back in waves back into the city. And so this is where the story picks up in 445 BC. So as we said, Nehemiah is a Jew living in Babylonian, which now is under Persian rule. And the moment that changes his life is described in the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah, which he wrote, found in the first part of the Bible in the Old Testament. Here's what what we read from Nehemiah. He says this, he said, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. I mean, okay, can you hear? He's kind of, listen to my prayer. He really had, he wanted God to tune in, look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen, for my name will be honored." The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Is there anybody here who delights in honoring the Lord? Amen. Absolutely. And so did Nehemiah. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah gets word from his brother and some others who have just arrived from Judah, from Jerusalem, uh, sharing that things are not well there for those who have returned from exile. That there is trouble. They are in trouble and disgrace. And we don't really get a whole lot more detail than that, other than being told that the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, it's very significant because, you know, in those days, the town, most of the towns, most cities had, a lot of them had a wall around them. That wall was 
protection. That wall uh, represented kind of a safety net, if you will, between the outside world. It keeps the outside world out. The gates are passageways that can be fortified and protected. Of course, it also keeps people in, doesn't it? But the challenge here is the wall being destroyed. It's it's more than just a wall. It's more than just a physical barrier. It, 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 to me, it seems like it's also a symbol. Symbolic, where that wall is, symbolizes security and strength and protection and safety, and now that no longer is. And so it symbolizes uh, vulnerability. It symbolizes that that town, even that town that's in ruin, now it doesn't even have the wall. You see what I'm saying here? It's, it's, it's symbolic of being open to whatever might happen. And that's a challenge for one whose ancestors live there and are buried there. And so when he hears this news, Nehemiah hears this news, this, this image of the wall being in ruin and the, and, the, and the gates being burned down is so powerful an image that it literally brings tears to his eyes. And not only does he cry, but he mourns and fasts and prays. You know, when we mourn, it's more than just being sad, isn't it? We mourn when something that meant a great deal to us or someone who meant a great deal to us is lost when they, when they die, when they're no more. Mourning is, is how we respond to that deep sense of loss, that grief. It, it goes down to basically the core of our soul. And that's true also with fasting and praying. Fasting and praying is more than just saying a quick prayer to the Lord. It means uh, giving up sustenance so we can be even more focused at the most deep level of our soul on God and what God is doing and saying and to be open to what God is about. So Nehemiah is a great leader. And we're going to take a look at, at his life and how he responds and, have, and receive some godly leadership lessons. So here's the first lesson that we learn from Nehemiah, that God calls us to work for God. We each have a call on our lives, but God often uses others to help us respond, to help us with that. You see, God called Nehemiah, but used Nehemiah's brothers and his friends to help him kind of spring into action. You see, when his brothers and the friends shared the conditions of what was going on in Jerusalem, that the wall, you know, was gone, and God used that to touch Nehemiah's heart. God used that to draw him in, kind of to break his heart, so that he would be plummeted into action. So the first thing is that God uses others oftentimes to get our attention. But the second leadership lesson we learn right off the bat is that the first thing Nehemiah did is that he prayed. He didn't pray as a last resort. He prayed as a first resort. How many times do we pray like this fire engine kind of prayer after the fact? Oh, I guess I better pray. You know, how about Nothing praying, else worked, you know. Yeah. Pray at the top end as a first resort, not a last. So those are the first two godly leadership lessons we learn from chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And in that first resort prayer, Nehemiah acknowledges 
how great and awesome God is and how God keeps God's promises that God has made to God's people. And isn't that how we should always open our prayer, just acknowledging who God, that God even allows us in His presence. Now, anytime we look at a pattern for prayer, that, that first and all, first and foremost is to recognize who God is. And then the next thing, and this is another good pattern for our prayer, is to confess our sin. God, you are awesome. I'm not even worthy to be talking to you, and here's why. Okay, basically, it's all out on the table. Now we can talk, right? Um, he confesses not only his uh, the sins of the people, but he includes himself in that group. You see that? Not only the people, but me and my family, Lord. In other words, it's not them and me. He's not set himself above. He's humbly acknowledging that that's a really good leadership principle, by the way, isn't it? To not separate oneself from the, but to be part of the crowd there who, especially acknowledging sin. And then, and then he reminds God of God's promises. That God said God would scatter the people among the nations if they were unfaithful, but God would bring them back together if they return to God and obey God's commands. Now, let's be real here. Do you really think God needs to be reminded? You can call me crazy, but I think God probably has a little bit better memory than anybody here. Amen? Yeah. Just a little. Just a, just a cinch. And so, when Nehemiah is reminding God, I don't think he's really reminding God, but he's actually reminding himself of what God has said. Reminding himself of what we, God's people, are called to do. Of what Nehemiah is being called there. It's an opportunity for him to consider what he must do to to help bring God's people back together and back to God. He uh, and he seeks God's help in this when he says this very humbly says this he says please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Wow. That's a, just the most humble Heartfelt prayer, I think. Yeah. We've already learned two things from Nehemiah. Our third leadership lesson, our third godly leadership lesson, is that when God calls, God's call directs us into action. God's call directs us into action. That's true for Nehemiah, and that is true for us. You know... When we pray and when we uh, kind of open ourselves up to God, God's going to speak in some way (coughs) eventually. And we have a choice to either tune in and respond or not. Now, how often do we not? Uh I admit, for me, sometimes it's not. And why is that? Maybe we're afraid. We're afraid of what God might be calling us to, what God might be asking us to do. I remember I was in my early 20s when God's nudge first started with this ministry call. Now, I was 35 when I responded, so that's like over 10 years. And part of it was that I didn't feel worthy. I was afraid. What if I didn't do a good job? I was called to be a nurse. I could make more money doing that. Uh, I'm a woman. People don't like women pastors. I mean, what 
God, are you serious about this? But God didn't let me go. And so eventually I had to step out and say, okay, so what is it for you, fear? What, what are you afraid of? Here's how we combat fear. Faith. Faith. Faith is when we don't have to see the end of the road, but we're, we trust God and we step out anyway, knowing that God's going to take care of the details. Might not be easy, but God is going to take care of those details. And so Nehemiah had that faith. And then we get to the very end of chapter 1, and we've got this line. It seems almost like a tag on, kind of like an after Or maybe it's like, shouldn't that be the beginning of the next chapter? Sometimes that's in the Bible where the end of one seems like... It's really interesting, this one tag on. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Well, okay, so what? Well, if you give it a little thought, there is a so what to that. Because um, he was the cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. And, and the thing is, if you know what a cupbearer does, it has bearing on this whole story because a cupbearer is a high-ranking officer in the courts whose duty is to serve drinks to the royal table. That doesn't mean he's just a bartender or a waiter. He, his job is to protect the king, to make sure that what's being served the king isn't going to kill the king because, you know, a lot of plots and intrigue for trying to take the throne and power, and people sometimes would poison the king's wine in order to do that. So his job was to be protective of the king, sometimes even tasting the wine himself. And if it was poisonous, (laughs) he dies instead of the king, right? So this position put him in very close contact with the king, and he had to be very closely trusted, thoroughly trustworthy to hold the position. And um, um, his confidential relations with the king would often give this person, in this case Nehemiah, uh, a position of great influence. You know, they basically had, would have the king's ear, perhaps. And this position of cupbearer was, was greatly valued and given only to a select few people through history. So even though Nehemiah had this position of influence and favor with the king, it was pretty risky for Nehemiah to ask a favor of the king. Actually, it would be risky for any cupbearer or anybody to risk. I mean, if the king was having a bad day, that could get that person, that cupbearer, Nehemiah, in lots of trouble. But Nehemiah used his favored position not for himself, but for the benefit of God's people. Now, we've shared the first chapter of Nehemiah. Now we're starting with chapter 2, and we read early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving at the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, 
Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. When God calls us into action, it's pretty scary. We see right in that first line, Nehemiah said, I was what? terrified. He was terrified because he was about to make a very, very bold request to the king. And that request could have had very bad and a very bad outcome for him, depending on the mood Mm. of the king. You know, just because God calls us doesn't mean it's going to be easy, does it? In fact, oftentimes it's just the opposite. Um, uh, Just like Nehemiah, God calls us to bold actions. And those actions are actions that we're unable to accomplish on our own. (laughs) That's why it can be a little bit terrifying. Actions that can only be completed with God's help. Actions that require us to faithfully pray. And that's the first thing Nehemiah did. And then he prayed again. You see, prayer was central for Nehemiah. And through that prayer, his faithfulness was rewarded, his boldness was rewarded. And we read further, if we get it farther into Nehemiah, that the king not only granted permission for him to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, but the king also gave him letters to the governors so that as Nehemiah traveled, I mean, it wasn't just a mile or two, he had a far place, far to travel, that he had letters to the governors so that he would be safe along his travel. He also got a letter to the keeper. That's what the scripture says. The keeper of the king's forest, allowing him the timber necessary to rebuild the wall. So here, this king, who may not have been a God follower at all, was really being used by God to make a big difference. And he was helping Nehemiah in a big way. In addition... The king sent officers and charioteers. Can you just see that picture? Officers and charioteers with Nehemiah. That was like to protect him. Nehemiah recognized that this was all God. That it was all God. God's help, only God, that got him to this point. It was God's, it was his faithfulness. So that's the fourth leadership lesson. Uh, Faithfulness. Nehemiah was faithful. And um, he was able to do what God called him to do. Let's take a look at Nehemiah 2 verse 8. And the king granted these requests. Say the rest with me. Because the gracious hand of God was on me. So there's some nice lessons we learned today. Is that it? No, it's not it. The bottom line today is this for each of us here. What is it that God is calling you to do? We learned what he was calling Nehemiah to do, how he went about it, and what Nehemiah's response was. What is God calling you to do? What bold action is God placing before you? What is God giving you that is big enough to terrify you, bold enough to cause you to tremble, difficult enough for you to realize that you cannot possibly accomplish it without God's help? You cannot possibly do it on your own. The Nehemiah story teaches us that we must always be open and ready to hear God's call. And it could come from a variety of different ways. He uses any number of means to call us. In Nehemiah's case, he used his brother and friends 
God might use that same approach with you or not. There's no guarantee. You know, what we can be sure of is that when God calls, whatever means God uses, we need to be open to hearing God's call to action. So perhaps God is calling you to action right now. It might be to attend E100 tomorrow night to go deeper in the scripture. It might be to risk and and sign up for Unbound. Hey, I admit I'm a little nervous about it too. But why don't we all do this together? I've never been. It might be to be a part of what's going on on the other side of that wall or taking care of our little ones or greeting or I don't know what it is. It might be changing the way you do things at home and having a godly household or making a difference in at Apo High School or Middletown High School or one of the middle schools if you're a student or a teacher, you know, showing God, risking, or in your place of business. I don't know, but God calls each one of us because we've been created for God's purpose. We're not created for ourselves. We are created by God with a purpose and plan to be used by God. So what is it? What is it for you? Whatever it is, seek God through prayer and take that time to kind of spend time and then put it into action. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking a lot of those things are right here. It could be calling you to go be a missionary over in India or China. Wow. That's pretty radical. I mean, it could be here. It could be there. It could be somewhere. We have a nephew who called us the other night. We were in the middle of something. We text, and it seemed pretty urgent, you know, that just an age. And we said, we'll call you right back when we can. Well, this young man's in college at the University of South Carolina. He's studying. 19 uh, years old. Yeah. He's a freshman. International business. You know, he's got a bright future in international business ahead of him. Sharp kid. Funny kid. Great kid. And, and he calls us to tell us that God has tapped him to change direction from that school, to go to a school in Chicago, to study theology, to be a youth pastor. Who knows? Maybe God's calling you to take a total different... Here's where it gets scary. (laughs) You're going this way, and God's... Oh, how about if you go this way? Because he doesn't just do it with 19-year-olds, does he, Carrie? No. Um, Sometimes mid-life he changes our... It can be all kinds of different things. Who knows... And that's probably why we sometimes hesitate to answer that call, isn't it? Because we're afraid of that it might be China. Or it might be seminary in Chicago. Or it might, who knows what it, it might be working with kids. (laughs) Or teenagers. (laughs) Please, give me China. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) For some people, that would, (laughs) some people, that's really, no, I'm just kidding. But for some people. for some people, that could be true. For some people, that's true. All my teens here know I love them. Anyway, um, we never, you you can't predict what God's going to do, can you? God's an unpredictable God when it comes to that kind of stuff. Because God knows better than we do where we need to go. Let me tell you this, for some here today, the action God's calling you to is to opening yourself up to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you. 
the healer, the savior, the, the God, the, the one who gives us a second chance, the one who brings new life, the one who brings salvation and eternity. The, you know, admitting we're sinners and that we can't bring ourselves, that, that we can't save ourselves, and that we are in need of a savior and that Jesus is the savior and that we will commit our lives to him. That's a bold thing, isn't it? That's kind of outrageous. That's a little scary because we don't know what that might bring. It's like here, if you step off, you're not sure what that next step might be when we would say, here I am, Lord, take me. Terrifying. We don't like change, do we? Who here just loves change? (laughs) You know, I shared in the first service, the only one who likes change is a baby. And even babies cry through it. So, change. And yet, that's what we're calling. And in this case, this is a severe change, a radical change, a bold turn our life upside down change. When we say, Jesus, I'm not sure what it means, but I'm going to give my life to you because it isn't working the way it is. Jesus, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And from what everything I hear, you're it. There's some here today who that is, that's the moment we're talking about is today. It's here. You know, that, that, that moment of change we talked about at the beginning of the, uh, that, that instant, what I call it at the beginning there, uh, the cha- life-changing moment. For some of you here today, today is the life-changing moment in terms of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is here right now. You know how we said you might get the message uh, Nehemiah got through his brother or through friend? You might be getting it from Pastor Allen right now. Oh, how do you like that one? Or God might be bringing it to you some other way, but some of you here today, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, and this is the life-changing moment. And the question is, are you going to step out boldly and say, okay? Are you going to step back and say, "Ah, not now? Okay, not now. Okay means you got to get in prayer. Remember Nehemiah, you got to get in prayer. You can pray right from your seats. You can pray up here on the step. God loves it when we're on our knees. It's kind of like, you know, that vulnerability with the walls. You hear the music, don't you? Well, uh, they're like, lean on me. Yeah. When you're not strong. We're supposed to lean on God, aren't we, through all this? That's the leadership lesson that Nehemiah had to lean. There you go. So everybody, let's lean on God as we take this next step out, whatever God's calling you to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. I could just listen to this wonderful sound right now, Lord. But we need to conclude so that we can get our kids. God, thank you so much for this uh, Nehemiah lesson. And uh, help us respond, be bold, pray first, and be faithful. We pray all this in your most holy and blessed name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers. Thank you.